Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Benjamin Drury, aka The Culture Guy, author, speaker and consultant on all things culture. Coming up on today's show... Benjamin seems quite happy with life. You know, we've got sunshine, we've got surf, what's not to love? Phil reveals what he thinks hospitality is all about. Yeah, people, 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 all the way. And Benjamin sums up what he does perfectly with this. I help leaders make workplaces awesome. All that and so much more as we chat through Benjamin's story to date and how he is on a mission to help businesses create awesome places to work. Benjamin talks with amazing energy about his specialist subject throughout and it's clear that he has the tools and passion to help any business fall back in love with themselves and get focused on doing incredible work. There's a phenomenal amount of content in here about building awesome cultures and a massive thank you to Benjamin for his time. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So please remember to like, subscribe and review on whatever platform you're listening. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. We all know there's something of a staffing issue at the moment. And whilst there's not one thing that will fix it, one of the foundations to solving it, I believe, is to ensure that you've got your own culture nailed. So today we are chatting about culture. And not only that, I've only gone and got ourselves one of the uh, the best in the business, who's an author and uh, a speaker on the subject and runs his own company around that very, very important subject. So I am delighted to welcome Benjamin Drury, aka The Culture Guy. Good morning, Phil. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to, to our chat. You're very welcome. And uh, yeah, how are you anyway? Where, and where are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. I'm uh, in Whitley Bay in the north of England um, okay. by the sea. So, you know, we've got sunshine, we've got surf. What's not to love? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm uh, in dreary Stansted today. <laughs> Just done the dog walk. She's cleaned and now we'll settle down for the rest of the day, which allows me to crack on. Brilliant. Um, and having said there's parcel deliveries, I now have to go at the door. Excuse me one second, Phil. <laughs> That's all right. No worries. Well, I'm back and I am so sorry about that. I've got half <laughs> right. people and nobody bloody answers the door. Do you know what? The uh, the funny thing about that is is that I uh, I always give that little spiel at the beginning about this is fully editable and then and you're about the deliveries. I've not had one yet, so you are welcome. You're you're now pioneering the, the show. And whilst I probably won't leave the, the big gap in, uh, I may well leave it in just for, for comedy. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so sorry. I can't believe we've got a house full of people and nobody answered the bloody door. Uh Yes, well, that's the um, that's what comes of being a, a parent, isn't it, really? Oh, quite. Yeah. Anyway, back to the job at hand. I was just talking about the dog, of course, and uh, the dog rules my life, in actual fact, which uh, uh, avid listeners of the show will probably know that already anyway. So you're, you're northeast-based, but give us a kind of overview. I mean, I gave you a, a very snapshot intro at the beginning, but give us an overview of what you do at the moment. Um, I help... Leaders make workplaces awesome. I think right now we need places where people want to get up and they want to go to work and they want to do something meaningful. And my job is to help leaders and business owners and founders articulate what it is they do and implement a value system and a culture that means people want to work there and people enjoy working there. And they've created a space that their people can thrive. And that comes down to, you know, defining what that is and then implementing those changes within the organization. Yeah, simple as that. 
<laughs> I, yeah, I, I can tell you about it in 20 seconds. It might take a little bit longer to actually do the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, I, what I absolutely love, and we, you and I have not known each other that long, but what I love more than anything else is the fact that, I mean, if you're going to tell people what you do, just rebrand yourself as the guy who does that thing. Yeah. The culture guy, I mean, it does exactly what it says in the tin, right? It does. And although... It's, occasionally I do find myself having to explain what culture is because everybody kind of knows, but nobody can really explain it in a short, simple sentence. So sometimes that, that works against me. But yes, the, the name The Culture Guy is certainly getting out there a little bit. Yeah, and to be clear, this is nothing to do with yogurt or anything no. like that. Or it's art pe- or nice buildings or anything like that. Yeah, people, people, people. Yeah, all absolutely. the way. Yeah. So, well, before we get into into that and what you're doing and kind of how you can help people, let's go all the way back, if you'll permit me to, because I had a, a look at your your LinkedIn profile to get a kind of overview. You've definitely got a really interesting background that, for all intents and purposes, from the outside looking in, you'd look at your background and go, "How did you end up doing this?" Absolutely, and it is it is an interesting story, isn't it? It all comes back to confidence. See, I've worked, as you've seen from LinkedIn, I've worked in many and varied fields. I've worked building internet banks in in the 90s before Google existed. I've worked as a child protection social worker. I've worked in retail, education. I've toured with theatre companies. Um, And all the way through this, I'm looking at the organisation. Well, why are you doing something like that? That doesn't seem, that seems counterproductive to getting your people to do really great work and enjoy what they're doing. But in the back of my head, I'm like, but you're the CEO, you must know something I don't. And it took me about 20 years to realize that they actually didn't know something I didn't. They just could, they didn't see the world in the same way. And when I started right. to write down some of the ideas that I had and some of the thoughts that I had, other people came across them and said, that's really interesting. Can you come and help us? And I, I kind of stumbled into it, but it took me a long time to realize that actually the way I saw the world was, was not the same as the way normal CEOs saw the world or, or business leaders. And that it took me a long time to believe that they couldn't see the things that I saw. Yeah, that's interesting because it's well. Therefore, it almost turns into a story of all roads led here. Then, <laughs> yeah, uh, in the end. yeah, it was it was inevitable, really. I think. Yeah, and but uh, it's an interesting point as well around the fact that you know CEOs and founders of companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I, I guess usually start a business because they have a vision, because they have a purpose. And then, but somewhere along the line, you know, their, their skill set runs out and they have to uh, incorporate lots of other elements into the business that perhaps they didn't foresee or, or plan for. And I, I guess a lot of what they originally started can get lost and therefore it can get lost in the way that you recruit people into your business and, and then the type of person that comes into your organization. Am I right or am I throwing completely the wrong balls into the conversation? No, no, you are absolutely spot on that often, and you know, there are people out there that start a business to make money and nothing else, but they are rare. Most people, most people see a problem or see a need and want to solve that need or, or, or provide that service or solve that problem. And there's a reason they start the business. But you're absolutely right. They then get embroiled in the day-to-day running of the business and how it should work. And you know, they're, they're really good at what they do but they don't know how to systemize this or or, or run the, the you know the financial records and so they take stuff off the shelf they go right there's somebody over here's done it i'll borrow that system and we'll do it that way and somebody over here's done this so i'll take that bit of process and i'll i'll borrow that and what you find is over time 
those processes start to cut across the reason why you start the business in the first place, the value base you wanted to bring, because they don't fit. They're somebody else's system based on their values and their way of doing things. And over time, you, you turn into kind of the same old, same old business. And like you say, you hire people because there's a, there's, a, there's a job to be done and there's, a, there's work to be, to be met. And actually, you haven't thought about, well, how do they fit? Do they reflect the same culture? Do they share the values? Are they going to do the work in the same way I would do it? And it's not because they don't want to do that. It's just the, the nature of running a business and all the complexity of it. That's just what happens over time. And you, you lose some of the real heart for why you started the business in the first place. Yeah, and I, I suppose it could also work the other way, that, that somebody could start a business purely to make money, to pay the mortgage, all of these things, realize that they could be doing it better than the company that they were employed by before or something like that, and then discover a purpose that's bigger than that. I, I suppose the purpose can come at any time. It doesn't have to be the root cause of the of why somebody started it in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, you start a, you, people can start a business for all, a multitude of reasons, but as they get into it, they realize the good that they're having. They can see the impact, and that then becomes a driver, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I suppose I, it's funny we talk about purpose. It's it's kind of the driver behind a lot of reasons why things exist, you know, and why people go and work for certain people or or start their own business. So it's the the comment you made at the beginning around the fact that you know lots of people talk about culture, but not a lot of people actually know what that is. I think is is very very relevant. So how do you go about? implementing or, or I suppose founding a culture really because that's that's effectively what you're doing yeah and it it comes that it it's quite simple in terms of understanding the mechanism it's obviously far more complex in terms of implementing when you've got lots of moving parts and lots of people but it, it essentially comes down to three parts the definition what is it we are trying to build why do we exist as an organization what are our true core values and when I talk about core values, I'm not talking about integrity and honesty and service that you get from a lot of people. I'm talking yeah. about deeper than that. I'm talking about the real heart of you know, those, those sorts of things are symptoms of true core values of maybe compassion and a real heart to, to make change or something like that. Um, so defining those core values, and then there is a, a phase of implementation where you make sure those core values run through the organization, like the, you know, the British seaside stick of rock that's got the name of the town running all the way through it. No matter where you break it, you can still read the name of the town. And that's what we want with core values. They, they really should be running through the organization. So no matter where you come in, or where you experience the organization or whatever touch point, it's the same because those values are, are so key. And then the third part is what I call elevation, which is about taking those values and pushing them to the nth degree. And then you start to move from a good business to a cult-like business where you get legions of fans and you get people begging to work for you because they're so into what you're trying to do. Yeah, I actually I've seen on a number of the things that you have, like your website and your social media presence, etc., the the word cult. And I love that you use it because I think it does probably wrongly have a negative connotation out there. Cults can be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there are plenty of stories out there that are not good in terms of cults. And they do have a, a, 
you know, the, the religious organizations have a very, very poor connotation to it. But ultimately, a cult is just a place where I adhere to the values. I love the values. I believe in them. And I'm, you know, I'm going to go to war over those values. Yeah. And that's what you want to build in your organization. You want to grab people that want to protect your values. And if those, if those values are good, we're putting good out into the world. That's okay. You know, that, that's still a cult. It's still, it's still a, an organization that has a real set of values that we're implementing. And we're, we're kind of, we're militant almost about, about looking after those values. And that's what we want. And that's what makes a cult-like business. But yes, it, it is a very dangerous word to use in marketing, as I've discovered, because you've got to be very careful to, to explain what you mean. <laughs> yeah, people were always uh, focusing on the negative anyway. Yeah. I say people, that's a bit sweeping. But the, um, <laughs> uh, and especially, I mean, you know, the, the, the negatives that come out in association with cults are, are always driven by you know, bigger stories and, you know, horrific events, which the media will always get a hold of and sensationalize in any case. So, yeah, I think it, it, let's bring, let's bring back the cult. Yeah. And I think it comes down to authenticity as well. You know, those poor stories of cults, the really bad ones we hear, there's often a leader that's not authentic and not real. He's just manipulating yeah. people. Whereas we're talking about a business that is open and authentic and honest. And yes, they are highly protective of their values and their beliefs but there's nothing hidden in there and that is a good yeah. cult. Yeah, absolutely. So I I guess then it starts with authenticity. You know, if 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 the leadership of the the organization are authentic and are laying all the cards on the table and not hiding things then then you start with a really good grounding. Yeah, absolutely. Every every business is just a relationship with purpose and relationships thrive on trust. And you get that trust when you're open and authentic and everybody knows the score and everybody understands the rules of the game and there is space for us to get things wrong and look after each other. But it's all built on trust. Um, Patrick Lencioni in his book, um, Five Dysfunctions of Team, the first dysfunction is a lack of trust. If you haven't got that, everything else is going to suffer and struggle. So, you know, absolutely, that authenticity and trust is the foundation of being able to do this well, definitely. Yeah. And when you've got that, then you 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 can move into values. Yeah, they'll cut because they'll probably roll off the tongue a lot easier than they would if they're forced. Absolutely, and there's also the implementation becomes easier because it's not just when there's trust and there's authenticity. Actually, people people trust that when you say those values, you actually mean them. They're not just mm. stuck on the wall. They're not just a a nice little motivational poster stuck on the wall that everybody chuckles at when they go past because they know it's not real. Actually, they're they're real, and this is where it moves from being an organisation to being a cult. You know, we are militantly about protecting those values, about delivering those values to customers and to internally to our to our colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. So, how does a, an organisation go about finding these out? And at, at risk of, uh, I suppose this, this is turning into a session, actually, <laughs> uh, rather than a conversation. But um, because I, I've I've been through as an employee before i've been tasked with establishing the values of a company and i wasn't anywhere near the ownership or anything like that and so it actually turned into a, an exercise whereby we were effectively writing values that we thought the world wanted to hear which obviously is, is not an authentic place to start from at all but how do you how do you deep dive into that how do you 
get into the soul of a of an organization to to really truly establish what their purpose is that is a great question and that really is the heart of the work and it is you're absolutely right we we have to distinguish between three types of values permission to play values aspirational values and what we call core values now your permission to play values are those things that actually if you're not going to hold to those this is what we talk about integrity and honesty look if you haven't got integrity, if you're not honest, if you're not going to adhere to the law, then stop doing business. Nobody cares. Go away. <laughs> Those are the permission to play values. Those are the ones that every business should hold to. And if you're not, sooner or later, it's going to come crashing down. Just ask Enron. Um, the next <laughs> lot, <laughs> the next lot are the aspirational values. You know, this is what we want to be. This is who we, we would love to be. But actually, we're not there yet. Our behaviors and the way we operate don't really reflect that. So they're not core values. They're not things we would go out of business to protect. Then we, the real thing is what we're talking about, core values. And those are the values, the lines you won't cross. You would fold up and go home and pack up the business rather than contravene this value. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, I don't mm. know whether you've heard of Southwest Airlines in the States. Yep. They fly... I don't know whether they fly internationally, but they certainly fly domestic across the States. And their heart is to democratize uh, travel, to make it really easy and cheap and affordable for people to, to travel. But one of their values is also fun. Traveling by airplane is boring. There's a lot of sitting around. So they just want to make it a bit more lighthearted and cheer people up. So their cabin crew do their safety notices on the aircraft, but they have a bit of fun with them. So they talk about they, they say, oh, I can't remember what they say now. There's loads of things they do. If you look on YouTube uh, for Southwest Airlines cabin crew, you'll see loads and loads of videos. I feel um, like I might have seen some of that, actually. The, and they, uh, they just have such a laugh and it's hysterical what they say. You know, they say things like, and if you've not ridden in a car since 1945, we're now going to show you how to put a seatbelt on. Things like that. <laughs> and one of their passengers wrote to the then chairman, Herb Kelleher at the time, and said, look, this is a safety announcement. It's ridiculous that you're joking. You should take this seriously. And he wrote back to her a lovely little letter that said, we'll miss you. Here are some other airlines you might like to try. Interesting. Essentially, fun was so ingrained in their culture that they'd rather lose a customer than contravene that value. And that is what we mean by core values. Right. So once we, once we know what those core values are, what, what I tend to do is I'll sit down with the leadership and we'll talk about what those core values are. And then I'll put those to one side and I'll go around the organization. And I'll have a chat to everybody else. And our sanity check, like you said, that difference between the aspirations and what we think we should be doing versus what's actually going on on the ground. And that's where you get to the whole kind of ideals. Well, what's really, truly important in this organization? Because that's what your core values are. And often you'll find there's an overlap, but there's a bit of a mismatch. And you'll find behaviors that don't reflect and sanctions and rewards that don't actually reflect what they want the core values to be. So then you've either got to say, well, those aren't our core values and we need to change them or we need to change some of our behaviours and way we've implemented them so those become our core values. But that's how you do it. You, and you do have to sanity check it across the whole organisation to make sure that it's not rose-tinted spectacles from the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. And well, I suppose especially when it comes to aspirational, it can be very, very easy yeah. to get, get carried away, especially when you feel like you're making progress on something that you can start to you know to look way beyond where you are and that sanity check i can imagine is just critical yeah it is but what what you do what i find by that sanity check is really interesting you'll get a lot of overlap and then you'll get one or two areas where that are flashpoints that are, they're really struggling with their core values in those areas but what you'll find is there's 
there's one or two small things that you can do that cost the company almost nothing that will crack open that nut and have a big impact and allow you to then kind of get the flywheel moving on making those changes. And I'll give you a quick example. Mary Barra, when she took over at GM, had a real problem of this hierarchical decision-making process and responsibility and autonomy in the organization. And she paid a lot of people who were extremely clever, a lot of money, and then took away their ability to make decisions. Right. The organization did because the hierarchy. So when she came in, the first thing she did was she looked at the dress code policy, which was 10 pages of this is what you do in certain situations. And she threw it in the bin and she said, our dress code is now dress appropriately. And everybody kind of pushed back and go, well, hold on a minute. Well, I, we don't know what to wear. And she's like, I pay you a lot of money to use your brain. <laughs> go and use your brain. Go and think. And what that essentially did was say, you can now make decisions. You have a little bit of autonomy. Go and use that to the benefit of the company. And it, it didn't solve all the problems, but it cracked open that level of trust and allowed her to then address all the other issues. And it cost the company nothing. It was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, well, and uh, you've then probably by definition, she's gained more respect because people are thinking, actually, this lady values my opinion, values what I have to bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. And that comes back to the trust element, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. It was a statement of, you're hired to make decisions. I'm okay with that. Go and do it. I am not going to second guess you on this. Which yeah. was a brilliant, and it was such a simple thing to do. Yet it had such a profound impact, and allowed her the time and space to do everything else that needed to be done in the organisation. Yeah, I think uh, Branson's got a quote around that whole subject, doesn't he? I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it is based around why would I employ people, you know, who are specialists in their field, and then tell them what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we see that all the time in organizations. I'm going to hire yeah. people, I'm going to pay them 70 grand, and then I'm going to tell them how to do their job. Yeah. I'm like, well, hold on a minute. They probably know how to do it better than you. Why don't you stand back and see the brilliance rather than get involved? You know, yeah. Give them, give, them, give them a target, give them something, say, right, I need this by here. Off you go. Yeah. See what comes up. They'll probably do it better than you would. I think without question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I think as well as especially in founder-led businesses, the uh, that uh, and early doors, and I, I speak from experience here that that transition from being a founder into letting go a, a little bit is is a tough it's a tough step to take. Yeah, and it is tough emotionally, but when you get it right and you find people, and this is this is one of the key things when people talk about hiring, they talk about hiring for culture fit, and I say no. Hire for cultural contribution. Who is going to come in and add more life to the value set that you're trying to deliver? Not just come in and go, I'm okay with those values, but come in and go, I love those values. Have you thought about this, this, and this? And over here in this context, we could do it like this. And then it's really easy to let go because you can see they're firing on all cylinders and they're going to deliver the way you would want them to deliver. Whereas if you hire someone that's like, I get those values, I understand it. Yeah, I'm happy to adhere to those. It doesn't come with the same. You feel like you've got to manage them, and you've got to check they're still they're still okay with them. Yeah, it's not got the same gusto. No, and that's well, and that's actually genius in its simplicity. Yeah, but actually, if you think about it, you you bring people into your organisation that that add energy to to what you're doing. I mean, that's that's like the, the recruitment one hundred and one right there. Yeah, but it's 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 a little bit more than that as well because if you imagine, if I've got a set of values, three values, you know, for example. The values of, of um, the culture guy is about um, 
people are awesome. So we ex- we're cheerleaders. We're not critics. So anybody that comes in has got to be someone that cheerleads people. We uh, we've got a value called Be Ninja, which is all about doing more without being asked or noticed. So we try and do more that cheer people up without anybody noticing who's done it or where it's come from. Just stuff like right. that. So. But all those things can be expressed in different ways, in different contexts. So if I hire lots of middle-aged, white, middle-class guys, we're all going to express that in roughly the same way. Whereas actually, there are lots of different contexts where I think, oh, well, I haven't got a clue how to express it in this context. I'm going to have to hire someone that's not like me. I'm going to have to expand my diversity. And what, what hiring for culture contribution and bringing life to your culture does is it allow you to look wider than you normally would for people to come in. In fact, you have to, to bring life. Yeah. Because if I hire people like me, they're just going to bring the same old stuff that I'm bringing. So actually it aids to that con- that concept of hiring a diverse workforce and looking outside of your own comfort zone to find the people that are going to add life to your culture. Because people from all walks of life and all races can, can hold the same values and just express them in different ways. And that's what you need to be looking for. Yeah, so it's an an enriching experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, uh, genius. It's it, it is actually nothing. I suppose this is the the thing that I've always loved about business. Actually, when you and this is why you would uh, uh, engage someone like your services for uh, something like this as well is that it's massively useful to have an external viewpoint on what you're doing because it's very easy to get bogged down in what you're doing. And the thing that I've always loved and the thing that I've always aspired to do is to not overthink business because actually the fundamentals of it are pretty straightforward. It's just that everything else starts coming in and takes your time. It takes you know, your brain power, la, 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 all these these things. But actually bringing somebody in like you to to kind of just give yourself a little moment to check everything, I can see it would be massively useful. Yeah, it it's like you say, you know, there's a lot of people out there making business complex because it suits them to <laughs> yeah. self-consultancy. Now, you know, the work that we do is useful because I've done it before and I've done it a lot of times and I can see things faster and quicker and I can come to solutions quicker because mm. of experience. But nothing I do is particularly revolutionary. I've just done it for a lot longer than most people. So actually hiring me to come in and help is useful and it, it adds a, a string to your bow. But I'm, you know, it's not rocket science, and I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm just going. Actually, people are going to react like this if you do this. Yeah, think about it. And it, yeah. it's not rocket science. Although I would love a job as a rocket scientist, so one day I can go to work and go, look, it's not rockets. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is actually probably about the only job you've not done. <laughs> uh, <but> <laughs> <laughs> so there's time yet there's time yet oh, keep that on the uh, aspirational list my daughter does want to be a rocket scientist so oh maybe i can do great. it vicariously through her yeah <laughs> she's living your dreams Absolutely. there you are that's what it is no brilliant yeah i mean it, it, it's such a here and now topic for for the hospitality industry because we're you know on the back of the pandemic it's been a well it's been a tough time through the pandemic but now we're coming out of it which everybody is incredibly grateful for you know there's been a lot a lot made of the fact that the that we're struggling to find people and i i you know i've i've kind of banged this drum before that um this was probably happening before the pandemic it's just accentuated it and sped up the the issue uh quicker 
uh, and I was talking to somebody about this very subject this morning. It's never too far away, but I, I think culture to me, and really, I think what I've I've taken from our chat so far is uh, is truly understanding what that is and what it means to your business, and not just paying it lip service and just having you know a, a three things on a board on the wall that everybody yeah. goes, yes, I I agree to do that. You know, if you get that right, it can be, I think the the linchpin to do amazing work absolutely and i think and i was talking to somebody in the um in the transport industry recently but i think the hospitality industry has the same issue right now that people aren't coming back to work there they're really struggling to get um if i read the news you'd be able to tell me better but certainly it seems that they're struggling to recruit and i think part of the reason is people have had a year off to think about do i really want to do this is this something i want to and what we've got is we've got an industry that is struggling to articulate why they exist in a way that excites people and makes them want to come to work. So it's not just about can you come and can you serve lots of people food and drink? Actually, no. The country has had a really tough year. Can you come and help me create a space where people can enjoy life, where we can bring joy? And part of that is food and drink. But we're creating an atmosphere and an environment where we are bringing the joy back to the UK after a really tough time. Yeah. Who wants to help me in that? Chances are you'll get more people applying for that job than you will for the, for the first one of, can you come and serve food and drink? Yeah. And it's all about that articulation and framing it in the right way to say, look, you know, actually the hospitality industry is all about creating experiences that people will remember forever. And we want to bring joy and excitement and emotion and passion to what's going on here. Who can help me deliver that in this yeah. context? And a lot of time, you know, business owners are so used to writing proposals for banks and to get finance that they, they leach the emotion out of it. We need to bring that back in, in the way we describe what we're doing and understand the kind of fundamental benefit we're bringing to society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've actually just said all of that so passionately that I believe you should be in hospitality. <laughs> it's, um, uh, but you know, it, uh, again, that that's about stripping it right back and going back to basics, right? I mean, you're absolutely right in what you say. I mean, there's so many. Uh, I mean, as a recruiter and the way that I see people write job adverts, you know, there's not, there's, it's not really a a kind of marketing exercise. It's a oh god, I've kind of got to do this. I've got to send this job advert out in there and let's hope that we get somebody that fits the bill yeah whereas if you just change the the languaging around it and change the excitement uh, which a lot of companies do do by the way i yeah. I'm, uh, this is definitely not a um a sweeping statement for the whole of the hospitality recruitment sector you know when you get it right you do start to build tribes this yeah. kind of tribe effect of god i want to go and work there that sounds yeah. amazing Absolutely. And are those companies that are that are articulating it in a in a in a more emotional way, are they struggling to recruit or are they finding it easier? I, I, I certainly that there's a couple that spring to my head that are I think they're struggling less. I think that's yeah. probably the way the way to do it. I think everybody has a has a challenge of some description. If you if you're used to having a 100 percent um people in all in all places, I think even businesses that have been doing well on that front are still probably only operating at 90 yeah. percent tops but yeah I, but actually from a sector perspective rather than just a, an individual organization perspective 
what you've just talked about is exactly one of the things that needs needs to change about the sector because we've we've for so long just relied on on the message that comes out naturally yeah never never controlled that message at all and actually if you work in hospitality and you and you love what you do there's far more like the vast majority of things out there there's far more wonderful things happen than you'll ever see that get out into the into the big wide world yeah but it's just i don't think as a, as a, an industry we're very good at getting that message out there and that's that comes back to what you were talking about at the at the beginning of this this little section yeah and i think if you've if you've ever been to to a restaurant or a, the hospitality venue and been served by someone that loves their job and is really excited about delivering happiness and joy you remember that for years yeah. to come as opposed Absolutely. to the you know the old the standard you know i'm not saying the standard is bad it's just you know it's satisfactory you know nobody goes out to experience satisfactory it's okay but you don't they don't remember it yeah and i think you know one of the one of the issues I've seen certainly in the in the companies that I've worked for, I don't know whether you find this in hospitality, is that when I've got a job that I need to advertise for, I'll go and see who else has advertised it and steal big chunks of their uh, their job spec because it's quicker and easier than writing my own. <laughs> and actually, that you're going to fail to differentiate. You're going to fail to stand out. You're going to fail to add your culture and your whole personality to that job ad. Mm. And I've, I've worked with um, uh, a physio a clinic a physio clinic recently and they were struggling to to recruit the right people and we went through this process with them to help them articulate who they were their values they added that and and rewrote the job description based on those values so the values kind of came out through through the job description they had four people apply for one post and they really struggled to not hire all four of them because they were all perfect right and it made such a massive difference to the applicants that applied yeah. It was phenomenal because they differentiate themselves. They weren't the standard job spec and, and person spec for a normal physio job. They really yeah. stood out. And so the right people applied. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I suppose the, the, the flip side of all of that is, well, it's not the flip side. It's, uh, I suppose, just about problem solving each individual section because yeah. – take the kitchen as an example it's a it's it is a high pressure environment it just in terms of the uh, the speed that you have to work at the heat that you're in uh and then yeah. but hopefully if you've got a good leader then they're not adding that in but there are some pretty you know high profile cases of of, of not creating a good environment to be in yeah there's enough challenges in there without that that's something that the industry is is thankfully now taking a, a long hard look at because it's it's been been too tough for too long to be sustainable yeah and now it's probably suffering as a result well imagine if you could in that kitchen environment and i've worked you know in my time it's not on my linkedin but as a teenager i've worked in kitchens doing stuff like that i know what it's like in there but imagine if as a head chef you can create an environment where everybody goes home at the end of the day thinking i did my best work under extreme pressure today and i got a round of applause at the end of the day i feel awesome yeah and that's possible to do if we get it right, yeah, I, I think as well a, a lot. I've I've thought about this a, a lot, kind of over the years, really, not just ju- just this year. But I think a lot of chefs, as an example, you know, a chef goes into that profession because they're passionate about food and passionate, probably, about creating food yeah. and using that creative yeah. part of their brain. And then, you know, as you become better and and so on and so forth, you're then asked to take on a, a leadership 
position, which doesn't necessarily play into the natural strengths. I think a, a lot of that then comes down to what training and support you give people who are going into that role versus as well what they've learned through people who've led them, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's, a, it's a really intricate weave. But, you know, I, I, coming back to culture, I, I, you know, if, you've, if you place an emphasis on creating a space where these people can come and excel and do their greatest work ever, then, you know, that's surely half the battle. Absolutely. I think one of the big things in creating a culture is the ability to make mistakes and what happens when mistakes are made. And in a kitchen, which is fast turnaround and the margins for mistakes in terms of time are so narrow and probably mm. the cost is quite high because of the quality of the food in, in that level of kitchen, yeah. it becomes very difficult to create a safe space for mistakes to be made. So I think that is the biggest problem to solve in, in that arena, definitely. Yeah. No, absolute fair comment. I mean, I think that's the, that's the same in in most high performing cultures. You either rule with a complete iron fist, which doesn't work in the long run, probably even the short run, or you you know you rule and you create a a, a culture where people can make errors because newsflash, everybody makes errors. Yeah, and if you can, <laughs> once somebody's made an error. You've already paid for the training. So get angry with them and, and, and firing them seems daft. What you've got to do is train them to not make that error again. You know, this is this yeah. is the error you made. This is why it happened. If you do this, it won't happen again. You've already paid for it. So what's the point of hiring somebody else who's going to make the same mistake again? Yeah, I, I've re- literally realized as we've been chatting that I could probably found a merchandise company purely on the basis of the quotes that you've been saying in this chat today. <laughs> that was a belter. That was a belter. I, um, yeah, and I'm making a note of these. They will probably feature on my social media across platforms at oh, some brilliant. point. Brilliant. If you ever get a mug, let me know. I'll buy one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, it's a subject matter that has its all, you know, a little nuances here and there. But I think what you've kind of really highlighted to me, certainly, is is the fact that actually it has it's it's got basics that if you do certain basics well like most things then everything else will fall into play yeah absolutely and it in probably in no other sector are people and the the emotion and mood they are in as important as in the hospitality sector absolutely yeah and therefore we have to create a place where people are full of joy because that is what is going to knock on to the customer's experience. So we have to, in, you know, in any other sector, we can get away with having bad days. We can get away with having, you know, a couple of days where we're miserable and just sit at our desk going through work. In the hospitality sector, we don't have that. We don't have that luxury. Everybody yeah. has to be on their game and full of joy at all time to deliver. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a good friend of mine actually realised this was about three or four years ago that uh, the environments, this was a, a fine dining restaurant group and they were doing very, very well, but realized, you know, that people were enjoying coming to work, but they were they were having, sometimes you just have a bad day, you know, sometimes you just wake up and things don't feel as good as they did yesterday and you don't know why. And so they, they introduced a, a thing called mindfulness days, whereby, you know, if you woke up in that, in that way, you and you said, you know what, I just I don't know if I can do this today. Take a mindfulness day. And I think they got five mindfulness days a year or something like that, which, you know, is a good starting point. But it is about I, I suppose is is a 
especially in hospitality, I would imagine is it, it's about innovating. It's about trying things. It's about, you know, not just doing the way it has always been done and stop talking about, I heard this on a, a webinar a couple of weeks ago and I thought it was absolutely apt. Is that Let's stop talking about 28 days as a benefit, 28 days holiday as a benefit. Let's stop yeah. talking about uniform as a benefit. Yeah, um, you know, these that. are the, the these are the th- the givens. These are the things that you'll get. Yeah. You know, the the bare minimum. Uh, let's start talking about all of the extra wonderful things we can do to to make your life great while you're here. Yeah, absolutely. That's what. And one of the things that I do at the Culture Guy is produce what we call a culture playbook. And a culture playbook has two sections. Well, it's got multiple sections, but the two main sections in it are. Um, opportunities and expectations and we talk about this as a you know it's a quid pro quo it's a two-way street actually yes we as an organization we've hired you and we've got your back and we're for you and we're going to help you and we're going to create an atmosphere where you can work with some great people we can train you you know we're around we're going to look after you if you've got a bad day that's fine you know but on the other side there's expectations it means you've got to bring your a game and if you're not on your a game let us know because we need to be able to deal with that because that's really important. And so yeah. you're absolutely right that holiday and maternity, that's, none of that is a, is a benefit. That's just part of expectation of being in a relationship. Yeah. You know, actually, I expect you to, to, the, to be give and take because I'm a human and I'm going to have bad days. So that's just expected. What would you expect of your friends? Then let's expect yeah. that from organizations. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, 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 God, I feel like we could we could go on <laughs> and on. Now, you and I met in inverted commas on Zoom a couple of weeks ago for the first time, and you intrigued me with something you have coming coming up called the Legacy Challenge. Um, yes. So just tell us a little bit about about that and what what is that? Um, the Legacy Impact Challenge is five days, and you need twenty minutes a day. For, to, to watch the delivered material and about an hour today to do some reflection. But what it is, is five days for leaders to get together and essentially change the world. And the reason I say that is because often business owners have got a great idea and they start a business or they're looking to start a business because they want to have an impact. They want to make a massive difference. But they get bogged down in the business and they, you know, they chip away at that, that dream and that vision because they need to fit it into a certain box for the bank or for the business spreadsheet, or for the balance sheet, or for everything. And, and so they they lose some of the energy. And what I wanted to do was create a place where we could cheerleader some of those world changes. We could actually cheer them on and go, no, stop chipping away. Let's see how we can make it happen. Let's see if we can build a minimum viable product for you to start to deliver and start to move towards that goal. So it starts on the 6th of September, and it runs on the Monday the 6th, and it runs to the, to the Friday. And it's essentially an opportunity to start to look at what that vision is, help you kind of um, expand on it, articulate it, innovate in how you want to solve those problems that you're looking at, and actually come up with an MVP and an action plan to start taking action towards those big goals. So it's um, the first one is free to sign up to. Um, it's the pilot, so we've we've um, discounted the cost. But you can sign up at thecultureguy.co.uk. And it's uh, essentially a five-day challenge to help you kickstart the impact and legacy you want to leave in the world. Wonderful. I, I mean, that's a, a phenomenally positive thing to facilitate as well. And I, I, But I, I'm guessing you take massive value out of that as well, just in terms of hopefully being able to give people uh, a, a bit of a motivational leg up. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've, I said earlier that one of our values is people can do amazing things. You know, we are cheerleaders and not critics. But all too often, leaders don't necessarily, aren't able to find those cheerleaders around them. And we want to step into that gap. So for me, just seeing how those leaders will will grow their businesses and being able to say we were part of that at the start is that's that's brilliant. I love I love doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I mean, I've signed up, as you know, so I'm, uh, I'm very excited to see uh, how I'm how I'm going to end up changing the world. I've always believed that I could, but I've just never really truly understood how. So I, um, uh, yeah, I'm very intrigued to see how this might link with my, my with my own values, having been through a, a, a process a few years back with a, a life coach around establishing your own values. I, um, I did learn that um, that saving the world was quite high up in my priorities, which I had no idea before I had that conversation. So, so there we are. That's brilliant. And it, like, you've probably experienced that it's really difficult to find people who you're able to talk to about it, because most people just go, Oh, you're never going to do it. Yeah. So creating that space is really important. So hopefully we'll get lots of great leaders coming along, cheering each other on. It'd be brilliant. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. So what's um what's in the offing? What's the, the future hold for you at the moment? Um, we've got a few projects coming online in the autumn. It's been a pretty bit of a slow summer. I think everybody just takes the summer off really. And you know, because certainly from my perspective, clients are less, which gives me an opportunity to work on the business and get some of the things done. And I think a lot of other service businesses are, are in the same boat but come come september when the kids go back to school we will be up and running with a few few new projects kicking off which is exciting yeah well what i for one as, as discussed i've not known you very long i'm a fan already oh, uh, i think you. the energy that you bring to the subject matter is is amazing um i don't doubt that you you would have a a, a positive in, influence on on businesses out there if if they show chose to um to engage you to to help them find their their purpose and their values to help them become a, a better place for people to come work um and i think it's uh, you know it's as discussed all the way back at the beginning this is a real here and now issue for hospitality so i would uh, encourage anybody listening to to at least engage and see if if you can help each other oh brilliant i appreciate that thank you very much it's um yeah uh, you know it's free to talk i'm always open to a phone call wonderful and yeah, it's if people want to get a hold of you and just chew the fat, what's what's the best method for them to do uh, that? Get onto Google and search for the culture guy. I will be there at the top. Yeah, and well done on that, by the way. That's um, <laughs> yeah, I I still think that's one of the, the the most genius pieces of branding that one could ever do. To be fair, when I started, and I am the only culture guy, so it wasn't a massive uh, it wasn't a massive bidding war for that uh, that key phrase, certainly. <laughs> right excellent well i uh i wish you well and i will see you in september for our challenge uh, i'm sure we'll we'll talk again very soon brilliant thank you so much for your time phil it's been a great to chat to you pleasure take care bye-bye bye-bye and there we have it a huge thank you to benjamin for coming on the show and sharing with such passion and energy on the subject of culture something that i think we should all be focusing on right now and i for one believe it can make a massive difference in the success of your business We'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday, but until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.